uh, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll change up to read 8 to 11. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy, joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And on to verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the pre peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as this soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. No, I'm okay, I've got a microphone. Yep, good morning everybody and happy Advent. Oh dear. Just uh, can't deal with tinsel on the lectern here. Right, I'm just going to put that down there. Last week, uh, a few of us uh, from this church went down to uh, Philadelphia down the road for uh, a deanery gathering where we were meeting with... Um, Lots of churches from this deanery, from around this area, and the Bishop of Sheffield was there, the Archdeacon was there, and they were sharing their um, uh, vision or for the future for our diocese and where we might be going over the next few years. And one of the things that we were asked to do was to get into groups and start writing down our hopes and dreams. So if money was no object, what would our church look like? What would our parish look like? What would the city of Sheffield look like in five years, 10 years time? 
And all these ideas were then collated up, and there's still opportunity to feed into that. Uh, and uh, uh, the bishop and all those people in power in the diocese will then use that information uh, from the body of people on the ground to actually form their new strategy for the next uh, few years. Uh, so it's this idea of hopes and dreams, which is a theme I want to explore today. And to do that, we're going to use two readings. So the first one was the one that Dave just read from uh, Isaiah. And the second one was the one that we um, all spoke together earlier on in the service, which was the, uh, the Canticle Magnificat, which is Mary's song, which is actually from Luke chapter 1. So when I said to Jill um, earlier in the week that I was going to uh, preach on... Uh, on um, uh, the Canticle Magnificat, uh, Jill responded and, and said, oh, so you get to mansplain Mary's song. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's exactly what I'll be doing <laughs> today. Um, but before we get on to Mary, let's, let's go to Isaiah. So what do we know about uh, Isaiah? Well, um, we know that he was uh, ministering, he was prophesying during the years 740 to 681, BC. Uh, he was a man of noble birth. He um, uh, was living amongst the kings in the royal court in, uh, in the kingdom of Judah, so the land of the, of the Jews. And um, this was a period of time when basically the country was in a complete mess. There was a time of David and Solomon where the all of the 12 tribes of Israel were all living in a united kingdom, um, seem, seeming to be prosperous and uh, living out the life that God had promised them. But then, after Solomon, um, there was lots of uh, a civil war, basically, in the kingdom, and it split up. The northern tribes went to Israel, the southern tribes went to Judah. Judah. And then there was... Loads of kings after that. And Isaiah was actually among many of these kings. Many of them didn't last very long, basically. So there were some who were a bit good. There were lots who were really very, very bad. Um, they had turned away from God. They'd forgotten his laws. There was just so much injustice in the land. This was the kind of world that Isaiah was living in. And... Um, God called him to be a prophet into this period of time. And uh, at the, in the early part of Isaiah, we read a lot of prophecies of, of, of judgment uh, against all the things that were going on in the country, how it was being governed, how there was so much injustice, and how God was actually going to bring his punishment on that nation. So not surprisingly, he was a bit of an unpopular character at court. But then later on in his life, um, towards the end of his ministry, we get this second part of Isaiah, where we have what we just read, which was a message of hope, a vision for the future. Good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, release from darkness, comfort to all who mourn, beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Beautiful words, encouraging words. But what 
did that look like for them? Well, actually, things started getting a lot worse before they got better. Not long after uh, Isaiah died, um, the Babylonians came into Judah and basically just ransacked the place. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they took off um, most of the, uh, the ruling classes uh, back to Babylon to live in exile. Eventually, um, after uh, the Babylonians were then taken over by the Persians, uh, the, they were allowed to return. And um, at this point, a little bit of Isaiah's prophecy seems to come true, this idea of rebuilding the ancient ruins. They actually rebuilt the city and um, rebuilt the temple. But still, they weren't really an independent country anymore. They were still a province of Persia. And then after the Persian Empire disappeared, Alexander the Great came onto the scene. And he then ruled over this land. For a little while, there was a, a Maccabean revolt. And uh, it seemed like the Jewish people were getting back their independence again. But then along came the Romans. And uh, what started as a, the kingdom of Judah became the Roman province of Judea. And that is where we end up by the year zero. Now, a lot of Isaiah's prophecies were talking about a special person. Somebody that was known as the Messiah, or a new king who was going to be the signal for all these things to happen. So when this person would be born and emerge, this is when they knew that this new kingdom, this new promised kingdom, would be coming. So, nearly 700 years after Isaiah died, um, we have this story of, of Advent, of Christmas, that, uh, that we're familiar with. So, but we're, not, we're no longer now in the royal courts of Jerusalem, the corridors of power, no, we're in an obscure town uh, in the north of the country called Nazareth. A very ordinary young woman called Mary. And we may be familiar with the story. Um, so this is the, uh, one of the readings from last night at the carol service was about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, you're going to be with child and you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to sit on the throne of David. And he is going to, his kingdom will never end. So here we are. Well, this kind of sounds a bit like the Messiah, doesn't it? And I think Mary understood this. And she said, yes, okay. I'm happy to be part of this. I'm happy to bear this child. And then she bursts into song the song that we just read together earlier on. It's a song of joy. It's also a song of praise. And it's also a song of hope. But it's not just a song of, oh, isn't it great I'm having a baby. It goes much further than that. In fact, I think her song is like a political manifesto. 
couple of weeks ago, um, uh, Nick Phoenix and Dave Attrell and I did a little cycle ride uh, down to, to Chesterfield. And when we got there, we went to the, the Church of the Crooked Spire, and they were having their Christmas tree festival. So I don't know whether some of you went to the Christmas tree festival up at St. Tim's, which was on the, on the same day, but we happened to be in Chesterfield, so we went to the one there, um, where they were, it was just absolutely full of trees. There must, be, must have been more than 100 trees in there, I would have, I would have said. Uh, loads of crowds going in looking at them. Uh, so some amazing trees, but the one that particularly stood out to us uh, as we were going round was uh, an upside-down Christmas tree. Uh, and this one was sponsored by Specsavers. So the joke was, should have gone to Specsavers. Um, but um, as well as the, the, the joke there, what it kind of inspired, and this is kind of Nick's idea really, so I'm taking it from him. But uh, um, for me, this tells us something about Mary's song. This explains Mary's song, or mansplains Mary's song maybe, or tree-splains it. Um, so let's think about um, how most societies work. In most societies, even in most churches and most organisations, we have a few little superstars at the top and then everyone else at the bottom. Okay? We have this Christmas tree-shaped society. But here, it sounds like Mary was talking about a, an upside-down Christmas tree, an upside-down kingdom. Listen to what she says. He will scatter those who are proud. He will bring rulers down from their throne. And he will lift up the humble. He filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The people were crying out for justice. This must have been such good news to them. At last, we have some hope. But I don't know... Uh, if you might feel this, but I think often when we have hope, disappointment seems to come with it somehow, doesn't it? And I think this was true for Mary as it was for anybody. We've already talked about how the words of Isaiah might have seemed a little bit hollow when we think about all the suffering and all the wars and all the pain that came after Isaiah, but it didn't seem that anything was happening. It didn't seem that anything was going to become fulfilled. The, the, the years turned into decades that turned into centuries of waiting for this Messiah to come, waiting for this new kingdom. And then here we have Mary on the brink of this turning point in history. So surely disappointment wouldn't play a part in her story. Well, it certainly started well. She went to term, she gave birth to her child. We know that he grew up strong and healthy and wise. And the favour of God was on him. But then, when he eventually went public and started his ministry, the first thing he did was to go into his own synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he stood up and he took the scroll and he read out that same passage from Isaiah that we've just read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. So you would have thought they would have cheered, they would have said, at last, 
here's the Messiah, and he's one of us, and everything is going to change. You know, long live the king. But no, what did they do? They took him to, to a cliff and tried to throw him off. And that was the nature of Jesus' life. Yes, he had a huge amount of impact during his uh, time on earth. Healing people, uh, changing lives, amazing teaching. But we can think of the day when Mary found herself standing on a rubbish heap outside Jerusalem as her firstborn son was being executed on a cross, suffering terribly, almost the worst death you could ever imagine. And there she was, having to watch that whole thing happening in front of her. Now, of course, as a mother, that kind of grief and sorrow must be unimaginable. But I think it's even more than that. It's, she must have been thinking, well, this song that I sang all those years ago, it doesn't seem to have happened. Was this all just a complete lie? Has this messianic project failed? Without realising that, in some strange way, this was the plan all along. She only had to wait two days before something even more unexpected happened, which is when Jesus rose from the dead in his new resurrected body. And... When I mention the resurrection, I feel <laughs> I don't want to gloss over it too much because this is a, a very profound moment in history and there's so much hope in this very moment of that day that Jesus rose from the dead that we could do a whole sermon series on it. So maybe that's something for, for Easter. But the one thing I want to say is this, that in that moment, death was defeated. That thing that happens to us all Jesus showed that that was no longer going to rule the world. So in a metaphysical sense, in that moment of the resurrection, everything had changed. But the interesting thing is that in everyday life, it seemed that nothing had changed. The Romans were still in power. The uh, uh, religious institutions were still as they were. It seemed that most people didn't even notice that Jesus had come back from the dead. And certainly that revolution that people thought was going to happen when the Messiah came didn't seem to happen. Maybe Jesus' disciples thought that, okay, you've done this amazing thing, you've risen from the dead, now let's go and you know, uh, overthrow these Romans. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, this was the start of a very long game. He commissioned Peter and his other followers to be the people to take this messianic project forward. Receiving the Holy Spirit to be their guide and to empower them as they did this. And Jesus promised that he would come back but this time, it would be different. It wouldn't be as a little baby 
that maybe a lot of people just didn't notice. But it will, it will be in a way that everybody would notice, where every knee will bow, where every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. So the disciples waited for this day to come. The years turned into decades, the decades turned into centuries. And here we are, 2024 years later, or thereabouts, from when Mary first uh, wrote this song. And we are the inheritors of this hope. The hope that we see in Isaiah, that we see in Mary's song, is still true for us today. And so we wait. But this isn't a sitting in a waiting room or sitting in a traffic jam kind of waiting where we're just passively doing nothing. It's what I like to call active waiting. Yes, there's lots that we have not received yet. But in the meantime, God has given us a job to do. As I look back on 2023, one of the things that's really encouraged me in this church is how we as a church have embraced this um, new idea of, uh, of focal ministry that, uh, that Will has been talking about for uh, quite some time. That uh, as a church, we have realized that you know, this is not just about one leader at the top and everyone else just sort of um, uh, sitting around uh, following, but that uh, as a church, we have a corporate responsibility uh, for everything that we do. And so I was really encouraged by how people um, didn't take this as a threat, but took this as an opportunity to um, pray and discern, have conversations with each other, and to eventually uh, nominate people who would put themselves forward uh, for this focal ministry role. And a few weeks ago, of course, the, um, uh, the team was, was announced. So we have um, uh, Rachel, Tina, Vicky, Emilia, Paul, and myself making up that team. And so I think as we move forward into uh, 2024, we have this role of active waiting. So we met together as a team just last Tuesday, just to get to know each other, just to um, kind of start to work out what are we even doing here. So please do be praying for us. Please do be patient with us. And please also be talking to us, sharing with us your hopes and dreams. There's still a long way to go, but I'm quite excited by what God will do through our church in the coming uh, year and beyond. So I want to conclude with this question. What are your hopes and dreams for 2024 and beyond? Not only that, but what is your role in bringing these dreams about? Or maybe if you look back on 2023, you feel that it's been a year of disappointment. And maybe you don't want to hope anymore. But my prayer is that we might take comfort in the disappointment and the grief and the loss 
that was experienced by Mary. And I believe that she never gave up hoping to the day that she died, that Jesus would come again, and that what she spoke about all those years ago would come true. So let us not give up on hope, but let's look forward to the day when we will reign with Jesus, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain forever. Amen.